competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Everybody, we are back. Thank you very much, subscribers that have joined us on this side. My name is Paul. Still got Nick here. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. And we're talking to Kyle McCord. You know, with Grey Knights and Astro Militarum, can only get better when the <laughs> books comes out, I guess, right? One one hopes, although... Vengeance for Katie is getting worse. That's all we need. Yeah. I, what I'll say is some of the more outrageous... one, Some of the more outrageous portions of... Astro Militarum have been sanded down. Let's put it this way: as Nick has just pointed out, um, in the previous, in the current guard codex, which we got for like two more weeks, there are about fifteen absolutely abysmal, uh, you know, uh, stratagems, and then there are five that are just plain absurd. And so uh, those five got sanded down a little bit, and they went into the other fifteen and said, you know what? Maybe you don't want to spend three CP to possibly do D3 mortal wounds on a four up. Maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> just maybe. <laughs> maybe you don't. Well, we got to talk, of course, you know, about what you did encounter and then how you plan to face these certain things, you know, with, with the list as it exists now, and we'll no doubt evolve a little bit and maybe we can talk, you know, it'd be kind of theory craft at this point, but maybe briefly about maybe about how you change it towards the end. Sure. And in the first part of this series of episodes we did mention tyranids a couple times so let's start with that let's start with i mean did you play tyranids i mean you said you did but i mean like how often have you played tyranids before kansas city um quite often um and so i ended up playing tyranids three out of the nine matches um or sorry three out of the eight matches um down in kansas city so you were well um, prepared <laughs> yes, I. It was a. It was something I fully expected to play against. It's an army that is, you know. At one point, I asked aloud, "How is it anyone ever lost with the original unnerfed Tyranid Codex?" And uh, we have now gone through three rounds of nerfing, I believe, and they're still incredibly strong. So it's what I expected to play against, and uh, it probably won't surprise you that I played those three matches almost entirely in the second half because a lot of the top tables were Tyranids. So were they all three of the similar variations to Tyranids? I know Kansas City was after that Leviathan nerf that we've kind of been experiencing, so the warrior heavy builds have been going away, maybe in favor for more of the Kraken style. Uh, but what, what's your experience with the different archetypes of Tyranids? Yeah, um, so it's a good question. The the two of the lists were actually still Leviathan, and then one was a Kraken build. Um, and I admit I had not had as much experience against Kraken because, um, again, you know, there was a guy named some some guy named John Lennon who was running them. I don't know if he's a well known person or whatever, but uh, <laughs> player. But he was really the champion for that army. And then everybody else, uh, you know, John and Delicate or these other, you know, other very skilled players were just running 27 warriors or however many, you know, warriors in a Leviathan build. Um, and so um, the Leviathan builds that I saw were either playing with Turvagon and then 30 term against 20 term against uh, and then, you know, some big firepower in the back plus 
plenty of mortal wound spam, or uh, they were doing what my round four opponent was doing, which was a lot of those very nasty Karn effects with uh, heavy venom cannons. Uh, and all of them, of course, I don't know why you wouldn't be playing this, but all of them were sporting uh, the good old-fashioned Hype Tyrant with um, uh, the absolutely absurd sword. The, oh, the, the Reaper of Obliterax. That is the one. Yeah, right. Every time, Does any Tyranid list not run that guy? Uh, a bad Tyranid list? Probably. Like, that would be the one, right? Uh, I think you, you pretty much... It's required. It's required reading. Let's put it that way. I mean, where can you find 180 points or whatever it is to put that guy in, right? And then whatever you need to have some timer guard to make sure they don't get just shot to death. But generally, one of the big deciding factors in that match, they're going to want to use a psychic secondary against me. And I want to make it as miserable as possible for them to try and do it. Additionally, I'm very excited if they have certain characters in their list. The Parasite of Mortrex is one of them. Uh, Death Leaper is another one. And then any other non-psychic character, because then I can interrogate them with impunity. right? I can use the Astropath to do it. I can save myself CP, etc. I also know that um, they have some surprisingly nasty firepower. The one fellow had uh, a rupture cannon on a Tyranifex. That was Jason Merton. And then uh, uh, the other fellow whose name I've forgotten in round four had four Carnifexes with heavy venom cannons, and he had a foot uh, hive tyrant with a, with the um, minus five... Shard gullet. Big Shard gullet. Oh, my gosh. That thing is a living nightmare for my list. It's exactly what I do not want you to have. And so uh, Shard Gullet. And so in that match, I had to be so careful about where I placed my tanks because I have to get the value out of them before they get removed, which they did at the very end of the game. Right. I also knew that uh, I knew a lot about how Carnifex defense works. And one of the things that I'm actually very scared of that a lot of people don't do where you give the Carnifex is light cover, because then you have a two-up with additional light cover, and all of a sudden I'm shooting you with Demolisher Cannons and you're saving on fours and you're reducing damage by one. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. But you'll notice the, the first step in my sort of process there is to say, how could they shoot me to death? If they can't, then my job is to stymie their secondary, which is a psychic secondary. They're going to try and cranially feast me, perhaps, which a lot of people did, or they're going to try and spore node. And so I need to be smart about finding ways to have my sergeants die that doesn't involve them getting points. It also means keeping characters back so they can't get to them. Because one of the things to know about the Nids is for all the ways in which their book is incredibly strong— their secondary game is not amazing. If it was, they would just be at a 60-plus win percentage, right? Um, and so a lot of my focus there is just on denying points. I like that approach a lot. I think it's really reasonable for Tyranids. Their approach to most armies is kill you first, worry about the scoreboard later. And your approach is, even if I go down, I'm going to disrupt your scoreboard and try to score my own points in the process. Is this a game where you find yourself, you typically run out of models by the end of it, but maybe you win anyway? Um, I will say that it's, it's, um, it's, it's challenging not to, I will run out of troops and that is actually, that is actually how I lose the game is it is, it is incredibly rare for someone to kill more than perhaps three vehicles. It's why bid is a trap. 
um, because it's just too much work and people run out of resources where they do it. In the game that I lost to Kraken, I lost by three. Um, and the way that he was able to beat me was really hammering down my primary while also keeping my banner down. Um, I wasn't able to remove the Hive Tyrant the way I wanted to. And so what I, what he did was, you know, this was Kit Smith. He did a great job of just taking my infantry off the board. And then if all I have left is Drago and some Lehman Russes that are shooting and some suits, it becomes very hard for me to hold objectives in an efficient way. And so I can't allow that to happen. That's why I have to be very conservative about when I'm going to move, move, move those infantry if I'm going to. Um, keeping guys behind walls and making sure as many of them as possible are you know, getting damaged through. If I'm going to trade the interceptors for something, it has to be more worth more than 130 points, which is sometimes a little challenging with NIDs because their book is so efficient. And so between all of those considerations, yeah, a lot of times I they can the way that they can become a big challenge for me is if they just eat a lot of guys. Not necessarily they eat a lot of vehicles. Yeah, right. So I guess that's their plan. And they're, the materials have to focus on that, or are they better to focus on the vehicles? I mean, what do you think they're going for? Uh, what's the optimal targets for them? Uh, if you're playing Kraken, and you can launch Raveners at me, which you can, and kill things, um, it is hypothetically possible that you could kill uh, a DK with that. But most of the time you're strength five and you're getting a zillion attacks, you're hitting on twos, you're rerolling stuff, but you're generally not doing 13 wounds. And so you're not, it's not likely you're making your points back. Um, whereas if you launch them into, you know, for, and we'll, we'll get to the blood angels game, but if you can knock out targets like uh, infantry squads or the astropath, which is what happened in the blood angels game, then life gets a little bit more challenging but um, generally speaking, um, it's more challenging because you can't get your secondaries than the ones that you've chosen. Is that? That's exactly right. Okay. I, I, I don't get to launch 10 guys at your objective, or I should say nine guys because they have a heavy weapons team, and just steal those points out from under you. I don't have the opportunity to just warp behind you and shoot you know, a bunch of your critical units to death or something and then smite them. Um, and so absolutely, if, if uh, a lot of my secondary game is built on um, doing things that don't require a huge amount of labor uh, in terms of either being pretty far back and interrogating, using banners, uh, you know, getting points off engage, which I was going to get anyway, right? Um, the more work you have to put in that I have to put into my secondaries, uh, the, the tougher it gets, partially because I'm playing an elite army that supplements with a lot of bodies, but it doesn't mean that I have, I'm not playing sisters. I don't have 22 units. So it's, it's like a lot of, you know, that, that's, that's the, that's kind of the weak point is if you can put enough pressure in the right places, um, it can make life very difficult. And of course the, the converse is true as well, which is I am also able to do that to them because you NIDs, Generally, NIDS lists run you know, 13 or 14 units. You know, sometimes you'll see lists that will run quite a few more. But generally, um, they have sort of big 
bulky, you know, groupings, and they need to be relatively close to each other in most instances. And so, yeah, in in, ver- in a, a very long answer there, that's that's a lot of times sort of. Uh, the way that NIDs can apply pressure. Um, and it's a dicey game because you have to expend resources to do it. Um, and I can punish you for it very hard. But if the dice don't go my way, life can start to get really hard, especially if you pick the right uh, imperatives. That's NIDs in general. They can really kind of get away from you just based on stat line versus especially your Space Marine stat lines. It's nice, actually, you have the Dread Knights. I think they're Mastering 6, Mastering 5 firepower, probably add a lot to the NID match. Uh, in the interest in time, though, I want to keep it moving. Let's talk about something a little bit on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, let's talk about some Tau. They just yeah. shoot first, ask questions later. How do you approach <laughs> this one? Yeah. Um, so I I play. I just played Patrick Jones uh, Tau in the last um, the last midmo, and it was the worst case scenario because. It was really aggressive, far-sight enclaves, and um, I made a strategic mistake and uh, didn't go first. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, one, Kyle, we teach you to roll better in the war room. What are you doing? I I I looked at the dice and I thought I didn't want it bad enough. That was the key thing. And so, you know, you're absolutely right. Tau, no one outshoots Tau. Um, and so the and so you know one of the challenging things becomes uh, AOC on Lehman Russes is incredibly handy in that matchup because it means when the bombers fly over you they bomb the tanks they do you know probably six wounds you know or between them right um, then they shoot at you you know perhaps they shoot at you perhaps they shoot at the dread knights but generally you're getting three ups and four ups against that um, <clears throat> into Tau. I have the wonderful luxury that unless something goes horribly wrong, I should be getting 15 on psychic interrogation. There's just really not a way for them to stop me. Um, and I should probably be getting a little CP throughout the game as a result of that. I also, um, the general pick into them is banners is pretty good. Um, there are lists that are unfortunately can just use the enforcer to dump obsec on a grouping of uh, battle suits and just run onto your objective and steal it. Um, I gener- if someone's doing that, it's not till the late game most of the time, so I can accrue a lot of points on banners before they can ever ever do that. Um, and then uh, the third one is interesting. The third pick is is always interesting, which is um, sometimes there are Tau lists that just give up a lot on bid and you're going to get 12 on it because yeah, they got rail, they got big rail guns. They got bombers. If you're, if you're Tau and you're not running bombers, I don't know what you're doing again to go back to stuff that you should pretty much just have. Right. Um, and so the plan there really is uh, punish them very hard for committing survive. And then there's a few units in my list. They really don't like um, interceptors are exceedingly unpleasant um, because I can get, I can pick a unit, have them reroll everything. They're very good at just picking up the stuff that Tau wants to leave behind. So if you're, you know, some, playing a list kind of like Thomas Ogden, where you're like, okay, I have very small numbers of units that are actually holding objectives. Most everything is really just going to shoot at you or your Andrew Gagno, and you've got three Riptides, and and you're using Crute Hounds and Crute to hold a lot of the sort of backline stuff. The Interceptors are a real threat. And the Mantor- I like that you've done your research on like what's out there. So yeah, you it, it kind of points back to there's some real 
calculation in what you've actually brought in your list. It's on that point. I think it's been pretty, pretty evident in part pretty evident in part one that Kyle was able to study the format, study what he was likely to play, and make a real plan for each and everything. And now he's just casually dropping names and list architects played by each <laughs> player as if it's just common knowledge to everybody. You'll have to see it. <laughs> well, color me honored. And um, I had I, I will say that I am I am I am very proud to first of all have played Andrew Gagno a long time ago when he was playing Centurions and uh, Thunderfire Cannons. If you guys remember that incredibly fun and interactive archetype, um, and uh, managed to defeat him by placing my units seventy three inches away from him. <laughs> Playing most of the game there. Remember um, when 40k was on six foot long tables? The game, the game is just different these days. <laughs> right when you were like, I actually might have to invent. I might have to go measure for the basilisk. Now the basilisk is like, I'll just go ahead and shoot at that other table over there, right? Um, but <clears throat> I, I really, I, first of all, I think Andrew's. I, I think Andrew Gagne is a very gifted player. And then um, I love one of the things I love about his list building is that. Not many other people are playing Triptide. Not many other play, people are playing his. Not many other people are playing his variant of it. And so, yeah, when I was looking at what was out there in terms of Tau, it is a very scary list for me because Plasma hurts me a lot. Um, and I know what the list. I, I actually tested Tau to see if it was something I wanted to bring to Kansas City, and um, sort of and concluded that it shoots incredibly hard. Um, and knew that in advance. It ended up being a, a list that wasn't totally for me because there weren't as many recourses in terms of responding to it. Uh, and so I knew, okay, these are some pressure points. If you manage to kill a commander, here's what happens. If you manage to kill all of the crude hounds and the crude, maybe you get lucky using some of the mortars and the squads, then this is how you can sort of play it. But it's a match, you know, it's a match I was very aware of. And fortunately, it was not one that I played at Kansas City because I would have been sweating whether I went first or not. But it was one that I also was very prepared for if I did have to. Nice. Yeah, the town match is one you definitely need to play in for. Tau and Tyranids are two of the top armies in the game right now. Let's keep on going with some other armies you're really likely to encounter in the meta and maybe what your plan is for them. I think I have an idea, though. Against Chaos and all the different flavors. <laughs> so you have Sem and Demons, I suppose, the two common ones. Uh, I know we have Vengeance for Katie. Maybe walk right. through how painful that is for our Chaos brethren. But what else is there to those matchups? Yeah, I was just going to say vengeance for Cadia Pass, right? Uh, uh, that's that's. Uh, but I I uh, I ended up playing Death Guard in the third round, which you guys were generous enough to commentate on. Um, and uh, I have a close friend who who plays Death Guard, so I play Death Guard more or less every weekend, right? We get a we get a game in, and so um, I think that uh, the the fellow's name is Joe Gazowski. He's a good player. Um, my plan coming into that was it was it was mission number 31 so it's tide of conviction um my sort of belief on that on that map is that whoever gains control of their three objectives and start get starts getting eight first generally wins um and so my opponent had things had two pbcs he had a land raider he had you know a bunch of uh a bunch of blight lord terminators that are very hard to remove and then he had just a, a, a series of squads of plague marines, and what I have to count on there is that it is going to take Death Guard a while. 
Death Guard doesn't have that many units that are fast. It has Blight drones, it has Morty, it has, you know, rhinos full of guys. And so my objective from the get-go was, I'm going to vengeance for Cadia stuff I don't like. I'm going to take out this flank where there's potentially threats. And then I'm going to try and disrupt things with the Grand Nemesis Dread Knight. I'm going to try and get behind and shoot Pox Walkers and make, make it hard for them to hold their objectives. I, because I knew that I couldn't charge them. Uh, because ultimately, you know, uh, Death Guard gets handed one of the very best, uh, you know, anti anti uh, charge techs in the game, which is Mister Stinky Pants, who just smells so bad that no one wants to fight, and they forgot they charged, and then you get hacked up. That's right, the foul blight spawn, of course. Yes, right. I call him Spring Break, um, and so because he's hosing you down, right? You know, et cetera. But so that that's Death Guard. I knew coming into that. Uh, I think Joe didn't realize how close he was actually getting to getting to me uh, because he managed to get one of my banners down. That starts to cut into my points. And then I'm playing I against him. I believe I took prisoners because he had a lot of bodies on the board and I knew I had to get rid of as many as possible. Um, and I then took, I believe, psychic interrogation, which I, you know, I, he had enough characters that I can interrogate every turn. A lot of times I ended up interrogating a psyker, but Death Guard doesn't have a great way to get a, you know, a, an ex, extra, uh, you know, extra th- uh, plus one on deny or something like that. So that's that's Death Guard. In terms of Thousand Sons, um, I've played Thousand Sons a lot, and they are just straight out better at denying uh, a one specific spell because they can 3d6 and uh, not drop any of them. So they can deny you on like a 15 uh, if they get lucky, right? Or even if they just roll well, right? Um, and so uh, I also know that Thousand Suns doesn't have great firepower. For some reason, the Hellfire racks on their Terminators are just not impressive. Almost all of their shooting is minus two AP. Uh, they can't depend on getting mortal wounds into me. Um, and so a very typical Thousand Suns list, uh, even the variation with Flamers, like the one that Manny Chima played, um, has a lot of mobility, but it doesn't have a particularly good game into me, partially because it gives up prisoners, and then a lot of the stuff that it wants to do, I can make miserable. And then in general, the other CSM matchups, something like, you know, Creations of Bile or, uh, you know, Abaddon Dogwalker, right? Abaddon Dogwalker is... Uh, not is probably the easiest matchup for my list because I have huge amounts of anti-tank firepower. Additionally, I have vengeance for Cadia. You're referring to like Chaos Knights with Abaddon and and like all the um, the war dogs. Yes, yes, it's 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 Abaddon plus all how plus all the armagers you can eat, right? Uh, and so uh, Abaddon is interesting for me because um, a lot of times I can just plant. 10 guardsmen and you know 3.5 inches away um and so whatever you know objective he's trying to hold i can make that difficult there's no way i can beat him in close combat um and the, and the phase cap is kind of annoying i do have the prescient brethren power so that i can make it so then when he moves he takes mortal wounds on a four up or um which is sort of handy but most of the time if he's gotten that close i'm in trouble anyway so generally the goal there is just to knock off as many armatures as possible rack up a huge number of points on bid use interrogate to keep you know to keep getting uh points and whatever else i pick probably banners or something like that uh try and make it tricky because the armatures are going to have to move towards me uh i know that and so 
in general, those are armies where I really am just relying on my firepower to win the game. And then if they're getting close, I'm going to just dump mortal wounds into them and uh, try and make it tricky. But in terms of chaos, that's a match I'm, I feel fairly comfortable with. I guess I should say demons can be very nasty. I don't like bellacore shutting off all my rerolls but i have an easier time killing the bloodthirster because i have so many out of phase wounds um and i also have a lot of ways of dealing with um zoning out the flamers and keeping them from being able to just drop on my face and do whatever when i look at your list versus certain types of chaos like emperor's children iron warriors chaos demons black legion they all have the ability to put up a stat check in your face and whether or not this is their go-to strategy it's definitely something they're capable about and by that i mean here's 15 flamers in your face bellicor bloodthirster scarbrand trying to trap you in combat you have one turn or i'm getting through to you same thing with like emperor's children deep striking some units and hitting onto the prince charges while 10 minute terminator brick is sprinting towards you with illusory supplication feeling pain yep. i get how you have vengeance of acadia for full rerolls and you have just powerful data sheets you have screens you have psychic powers you have a lot of damage in your list and you have a lot of good tools to fight chaos but is the stat check something to be afraid of how do you approach it if someone does just try it at you yeah, so I'm not saying that I can kill the giant block of Terminators. I don't think there's much in the game that really can. Uh, I think Tyranids can. They can probably dump enough mortal wounds into it. But um, it, uh, that's not going to be a one-turn project. Um, that So if Terminators are running at me, it's worth remembering that the vast majority of the time they don't have OBSEC. And so I can win the game on primary, blocking them with guardsmen, using move, 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 uh, picking, the, picking you know a few of them off at a time. Uh, yeah, there are ways in which it can go sideways for me, right? If, a, if an assault army comes at me and I just can't seem to roll to save my life, which happens sometimes, um, then it's a, there... It's a bit of know, an unfortunate reality to guard as well is like you solve your problems with buckets of dice and not really any rerolls and if that doesn't happen that's you know that was your shot i am fortunate that the lehman russes can reroll if i want to right and then uh i can vengeance for katie to reroll hits and wounds but it's 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 not it's not exactly playing um it's not it's not the same as playing something like marines where you're just like okay reroll ones reroll ones although it's worth saying that uh i know a certain man named Jack Harpster, who uh, won with Harlequins with no rerolls at all, right? Uh, so there are what you so sometimes buckets of dice do just win the game, right? But you're right. Um, in terms of uh, playing smart, right, with those kinds of armies, uh, this is probably like a, a known form of wisdom, but you got to know what they're able to do, right? You know, Emperor's Children can heroically intervene in a huge variety of places. You have to know that know that they're going to stick that if it's, you know, someone like Ben Sherwin, they're going to stick those noise blasters out there, right? The blast masters. And all of a sudden you're getting nailed by three, four damage shots. Um, that's not survivable. So you have to know um, what what's coming at you and how you can realistically deal with it. Um, and so you have to be very smart about target priority. You can't just say, I'm going to point the demolisher cannon at anything. Because again, if you're like, I'm just going to pour it into that big group of Terminators, yeah, um, there's lots of ways in which that doesn't play perfectly. And also, killing those Terminators might not get you a lot of points. 
And so you want to be conscious of what's actually going to, to get you there. And so, again, it's, it's part of a process of being judicious. One of my experiences with chaos is they tend to have three or four units that are absolutely insane. And then they've got some other stuff to try and score points. And if the other stuff is not there, whatever their absolutely insane unit is, that's not leaving the objective. And then your life is a lot easier. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, and a similar approach you take to Tau as well. Just kill the crew, kill the cultists, play around the big Death Star, because obviously when you try to approach a Death Star, you are embracing dice to the nth degree, especially when there's no rerolls from illusory and that delightful agony is to throw a wrench into your D6 damage. It can get ugly. So if you just focus on the other problems and mitigate Terminators, it goes a long way. Absolutely. So uh, we have a few more matchups to talk about. We cannot leave this conversation without talking about my pointy-eared friends. So <laughs> how, how do you approach – you already mentioned the Harlequins, but I'll also throw in Craftworld Eldar to the mix. Craftworlds like to take and not trade is the bit of the saying we have here. So you being a shooting army may struggle to ever shoot them back. How do you approach that one? And on the flip side, we have Harlequins who are just so good at everything. Oh, my gosh. Um, so on a on – a- Bi-weekly basis, I play against a uh, very skilled craft world player, Ryan Olson. And he's also the guy who puts up with my daily, hey, Ryan, what if I did this? What if I did that? Right. And so uh, he is he is uh, a glutton for punishment. So my, my so a shout out to him. Um, and so uh, with craft world Eldar, there's two varieties that I'm really thinking about. I'm thinking about Uthway. And I'm thinking about Hail of Doom, and they're very different. Um, and so um, the Uthway is the one that I'm actually more concerned about because they can deny very easily. Um, they also oftentimes will have the ability to just cast interrogate on an eight, and I cannot stop them. Um, that gets very tricky. As a sort of as a way as something that I need to play around, they also can you know sort of beat me at my own game. Hi. One of the one of the nice things is that I have is that the Eldar secondaries are not completely busted. Um, Scout is challenging if they can pull it off if for for them to try and pull off Path of Path of Cain, I think is the name of it, where they can just sit Karandras on an objective on the right mission. That's Hidden uh, Path. Wrath of Cain it, is a combat shooting. That's right. Sorry, yeah. It's all good. Yeah, Hidden Path. If you're busy trying to remove Karandras from an objective and oh he he only takes three wounds and sometimes he gets back up and sometimes he just, you know, he just kills whatever you send at him. That can get very challenging. But in general, they don't have Necron secondaries. They don't have sister secondaries. And so um, I can a lot of times make life very difficult for them, um, especially if they don't have D cannons, which is for some reason wildly popular here in the Midwest, right? Um, and so uh, if you're, you know, James Kelly, when he, when he is running Eldari, is running D cannons, or uh, Ben Bencher, when was playing Eldari, he was doing D cannons. Um, so anyway, um, between with Uthway, what I'm thinking about is reducing resources. I'm, I'm if I'm going to do interrogation, I have to be very conscientious about how I do it. Um, I'm going to want to try and get around behind them, so that's a great mission to try and do engage, and then or a great a great you know army to try and do engage into, and then additionally. Banners can get very difficult because a lot of what Eldari is, is they're going to shoot 
objective secured banshees at at your objective. So you want to double layer double layer your troops to ensure that they can't necessarily steal them. You want to make it more difficult. So again, when they're making those choices about how to steal points from you, they got to figure out how to do it. They don't have an easy time taking down the Lehman Russes, but that's not a place where the Lehman Russ is necessarily going to shine unless they're playing like Falcons or something like that. And so it's a very cagey game. And with all cagey games, what I'm thinking about is how do I score point? How do I get ahead on points in my first or second? How do I steal their primary? How do I give them a zero? If you give your if you give Eldari a zero, there's very few ways for them to come back. And so if you do a concerted effort of I'm going to move, move, move both squads simultaneously. I'm going to steal you know both their objectives. I'm going to do it in a way that they can't you know do anything about. Um, if you can do that and then not have enough reprisal that they can do the same to you, that makes the match a lot more interesting. But it is one of the more challenging, li- you know, for my list. Um, conver- uh, on the other hand, Harlequins, I, n- I notice I just take a big sigh before I talk. <laughs> I like that big sigh. Notice that. A big sigh. So <laughs> it's been said that I quote, hate Harlequins, uh, and that is 100% true. Um, I did a bunch of matchups into them, played against Light, played against Twilight, um, and there's the, the, the sort of annoying thing about Harlequins, well, one of the many annoying things is that there's tw- there's, they've only got like seven data sheets, and like pretty much any build you make with them is good. And so one of the things that I try and focus on is that they are going to show me a certain number of targets. They're going to show me, okay, here's this transport. Here's this, you know, here's this unit of, um, here's this troop that I'm willing to show you. I have to find a way to get them to, to get targets that are not the ones that they want to show me, find ways to get behind or to get angles. Their secondaries are absurd. You know, uh, the, I find they don't tend to take positions against me, but they do tend to do, um, Deadly performance, because why wouldn't you? One of the things I'll say is that that is another army that does run out of resources eventually. Um, and at a certain point, there just aren't that many troops left on the board. It's a, it is a place where you can potentially take grind, but it's dicey because sometimes you just don't remove Harlequin units, no matter how many guns you shoot at them, because the mystical power of luck. And then I also, I'll say Harlequin players roll fours at a 75% rate. I don't know what it is about when you put that army under the table. Harlequins um, just pass four pinfuls. It's, it's, there's nothing else like it. it just, it's, it's not 50-50. Fours be fickle. That's what we always say. Yeah, it is nuts. Um, I do have one advantage in that they often, if they've built with the double shadow seer with the idea that they're going to psyker me out, that's not going to happen. Um, I can make that unpleasant for them. So generally, a good Harlequin player against me will take performance. They'll take, and then they'll take something like maybe banners. Uh, I, I don't remember if banners replaces performance or whatever. But yeah, they um, typically do like banners, deadly performance, and then they can they have a variety of like behind enemy lines, engage in all fronts, right. take your places. Right, or they're going to engage or something like that. Right, um, and that's and that and those are all things that I have the ability to interact with. And again, if they start to run out of units, um, I can make that very tough. I also happen to have a huge amount of strength five shooting, um, and that they and also I can make it for one CP. I can make it strength six, and they don't like that. Uh, that is even with minus one to wound from the from the shadow seer. 
um, that starts to pick up units pretty darn fast. Is this a game, or or maybe you could tuck in some more indirect fire to try to help out this matchup, or is that not the direction you would go? I tried it. Um, so I used to run a mortar squad. Um, and a mortar squad is interesting because you can pay one CP to get plus one to hit and plus one to wound. And you can also use the platoon commander to order them to, uh, to reroll ones. And so it's great for picking up stuff like crude hounds. It's good for picking up gargoyles. I really but, think I'm going to title this episode, A Mortar Squad is Interesting. After that A point. Mortar Squad <laughs> is Interesting, the Kyle McCord story. Um, <laughs> Honestly, so, that, I mean, who says that? Yeah, they're interesting. I mean, they here's the thing, man. The Mortar Squad stops being interesting after about turn three. Um, and then you really, really wish they were an infantry squad because uh, they are no longer picking things up and they also are just certain matches where it's completely dead. Um, like, if you're playing into Knights, it has no functional purpose. If you're playing into Necrons, sure, yeah, it can shoot at, it can shoot at the Scarabs, but it ends up being odd how few of them you actually pick up. Um, if you're picking up Ophidians, they've done something really wrong, right? No, it's like a, it's something that I tested thoroughly, and I think it's... It, and there is a world in which that goes into the list, but... The other side of it is that if you look at the actual math of it without spending CP, you a lot of times end up not picking up what you hope you would against Harlequins. Um, because maybe, because ultimately, if they're sitting in cover and they're getting four ups and you're minus one to wound them, uh, it ends up it ends up being not as appealing as you might think, even though that seems like it'd be the sort of optimal match for it. But again, that's not a unit that doesn't have utility. I've actually tried running, tried doing the Brett Urbanowski and said, "Oh, I'll run, I'll run nine of these. You kill a lot of stuff, but they're also not infantry squads. They don't have obsec. They don't steal objectives. And so, um, from an efficiency standpoint, there's stuff that they just miss." Yeah, I can definitely see how the Harlequin matchup is super challenging for you in general. Just a lot of their rules are very hard for you to interact with, and they're so good at just scoring points, and it's hard for you to disrupt that, which is a big part of your game plan. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely not the easiest match I play. Um, it, de- it depends. Honestly, I will say this, that Harlequins is a very high-skill army and if you ru- if you run into an opponent who is very good player and very good at harlequins in general it is just very hard to win i think that's true of necrons as well for sure that actually brings us really nicely to necrons and sisters which are an odd combination of armies to group together but i actually am going to in this case because they both have the points factory kind of shindig going on they can uh, sit, score yeah. and potential they just sit there and they score points it's on the onus is on you to beat them if you lead them to their own devices they'll just score 100 points before you even blink how does your army actually interact with one of these so i meant i did my long sigh before uh playing before talking about harlequins but it probably should have been against uh, into necrons um truth be told i have a you only get I one a, long sigh Kyle wait so no i take it back i can't have that one uh so uh um i play uh a weekly game against uh uh, a very skilled player brandon flock who is one of the who has been playing necrons since before they were absurd and so uh i would i was like seven on seven and two into his list and then they switched over and now i'm like two and seven (laughs) and so it's funny um, how that works 
It is right, um, and, but he plays a list that is what I'll, what I'll say is there's different variants of the Necron build. I am delighted if my opponent has a Catan. Um, I am also delighted if they do not have 21 Scarab bases. Um, so that it, it, the the Necron match really comes down to who goes first. If they get to just roll in on me and get they they pick up their ancient machineries immediately, um, so they get and then they are doing purge every turn. And I, it's a map where it's very hard for me to get someone over the line. Um, maybe they have a lot of shooting, right? Then it becomes harder for me to disrupt. One of the things I'll say about Necrons, though, is on the flip side, they, that other than King, they can't really stop me from interrogating them. Um, they also, if they're, if the army is built right, they should basically just auto give up 15 on prisoners. And then generally, um, I can make it very difficult for them to disrupt banners because, yes, everybody has obsec, but... Uh, they don't have an unlimited number of bodies. Um, the other th- sort of like weakness of Necrons is that they have a limited number of actual units. Usually they'll have a couple, you know, teams of tomb blades. They'll have some scarabs bases. They'll have their, you know, blobs of absolutely ridiculous Scorpec destroyers. Um, I have to, the, the, the game plan there is to try and edge them out by just a couple of points. Uh, one of the things that Jack said to me is that when he was playing Necrons, uh, was that that one in Chicago? That was the other one. That was Nova. He said that he would go to sleep and wake up and he'd have a 94. And <laughs> uh, that is what you can't have happen. So you have to get a, a couple guys over. You have to get a character and just push them into their zone for purge. So all of a sudden, this stupid platoon commander is costing them a point of turn. Uh, you have to move, move, move onto their objective. So then they have to send out a score, a unit of Scorpex to come kill your guys. They lost points on primary. Now maybe you're going second, so you're getting a 12 at the end. Um, you have to just find ways to cut into what they're going to do. If you let Necron, like this is true for any army, if you just let them do what they want to do, they're going to win the game because there's they have obsec everywhere um they end up being surprisingly resilient to some things and then um but it doesn't end up being an awful match because most armies um most necron armies to my mind try and do something a little bit different to account for other parts of the meta meaning that they don't run just a giant pile of scarabs and a bunch of scorpex or whatever because it turns out they actually have a bad match into like they don't have a great match into demons, and they don't have a great match into Tau. Uh, and so um, that makes life a little bit more... That allows means that other parts of the meta balance it out a little bit. I didn't play them in Kansas City, but I did play Sisters. Um, that and were noticeably unpresent at Kansas City, and that could be a byproduct of what you were just describing. There are armies out there, Tau, noticeably Chaos Space Marines also, that just destroy them. You know, from a damage output. Yeah, I think that Necrons actually has a very bad day into Creations of Bile if Creations of Bile just goes all in. Um, because then they're like, cool, I send in the squad of Scorpec Destroyers. Oh, they're so good at killing your guys. Oh, no, they're so they're so bad at not being killed by your guys. <laughs> exactly right? that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Creations kill you twice as fast if you think about it like that. Absolutely, right? Um, but yeah, let's talk about Sisters, too. Yeah, let's talk about sisters. So the ma- I played I played sisters in my sixth round, um, and the I I was in the fortune. It was scouring, 
um, I was in the fortunate position that I got to go first. The list had Morden Vall, it had Celestine, it had the Canoness, who's just absolutely ridiculous. It had uh, uh, Hospitlier, etc. Um, one of the things that uh, that mortars are very good at, Nick Nanavati, is killing Repentia. Um, That's true. Mortars coming in clutch yet again. Yeah, mortars do that real good. What else does that real good is on GW terrain, um, uh, Dread Knights warping behind your opponent, shooting them with machine guns. Uh, Repentia do not like that. Um, And so one of the things I know about Sisters, and I know about Scouring as well, is it's actually pretty easy to disrupt your opponent's primary because of the distance between the actual uh, home objectives, it's actually fairly easy to move, move, move units onto those objectives. And then they have a harder time just picking up their easy points for, uh, for walking onto the objective and cleansing it. Um, there are sisters, uh, you know, secondaries I can't do anything about. This was a list that had a lot of multi-meltas, so I'm not going to go in and try and take their sanctuary that's just it's just not going to happen right um leap of faith most interactive secondary in the game so much fun sisters <laughs> use their army-wide bonus and they score 15 for doing it or 12 i'm sorry just 12 for doing it right hey do you it's like it's like a secondary that we're like where they're like hey do we do you want to be rewarded for uh doing what you were already absolutely 100 gonna do awesome take this yes um so I can't do a lot about those two. What I can do something about is their equivalent of, of cleanse, purify the lander or whatever it's called. And so I made sure that he was never able to get to the middle to cleanse the last objective, right? So he's going to get a he's going to get a ten on that. And then I'm going to and then I moved up and kept stealing his objectives, stealing his objectives. One of the, and and sisters is especially difficult because I just you just cannot take a psychic secondary against them. They're going to deny it on a six up. If they don't deny it on a six up, they'll deny it on a four up. Um, and uh, that's just and it can be any unit they like. And that's just not good enough. But there, you know, uh, one of the things I'll say is they're still T three bodies. Um, they also are very vulnerable to grind because they run. I think that list ran twenty two units, and so I know one of the great things about sisters is you can telegraph what they're going to do. I know you're going to send this squad of. Uh, Zephyrum at my face. I know you're going to send the squad of Repentia at my face. I can see you hoarding up your sixes on your miracle dice to get there. And so based on that, I think I can kill you here. Um, and then I can grind. And so I ended up getting a 15 on grind. I ended up getting a 13 on engage uh, because I just kept moving back into his zone and like and, and getting points. And then I ended up getting a... took a, I did take a third secondary, as it turns out. That's like a really strong strategy. Um... I took something like grind, so grind, engage, maybe banners. banners. Yeah, yeah, banners. I took banners and I got it. I got a ten on it, which is fine. Classic it's banner cl- score. Classic banner score. I mean, you're on scouring. How are you not? How are you not doing that if you're doing this? If you're pushing your opponent, um, but it's another game. You're you're right to group these together because it's another game where you can't leave your opponent to just do what they want. If you do, they're just going to walk away with, you know, they're going to walk away with a uh, something like a, a 96 or a 97. And so my game plan was very much, I'm going to keep denying you primary. On the last turn, he, I, I knocked him off of one of his uh, objectives completely because 
sisters don't have a ton of movement. Um, they have generally six inches with a lot of guys. They do have their Zephyrum, but they're trying to use those to score points. Um, they're going to run out of Repentia, and so you have to make it so they can't get over to their objectives. Mordenval only has so much movement. Um, and so that's sort of the pressure game you have to apply, and that's you know, it's a great place for interceptors. Interceptors love to go in and stab them to death, right? A lot of their movement also comes from, like, getting successful charges off all the pilot consolidates and other things. I mean, they, it's kind of hidden, and if you help, if you go also go out of your way to deny them that, you then, Jack's ride? you know, they are kind of okay. waiting to be shot. Absolutely, right? If they, if they have that nine-inch charge, and then they use that six and they get a two, that's real bad news bears because you got to reroll both of those, right? And so uh, then it then it becomes like you're just sitting out in the open, and I don't care how much armor of contempt you have, um, I've got enough to deal with it, right? And so that's the gimmick. That is one of the things I love about your army is like it's it's hard to find an effective imperialist that uh, can actually scare off like armor of contempt and army and cover armies, and I feel like your army actually does hit that core pretty well between your mortal wound output and demolisher cannons to the face. I've got a I've got a silly thing too, Nick. Which is, did you know that if the astropath is eighteen inches from you, he can just say you don't get cover for anything from the astro militarium that shoots at you. You know, Kyle, I only knew that because that rule is like seven years old still, and <laughs> they, they still exist. <laughs> right? People always forget that they're like, wait, do you have to see me? No. Believe so it or not, did. that astro militarium codex you are currently playing with used to be the best army in the game. These used to be all tricks that everybody had at their fingertips. Uh, Oh man, yeah, that uh, yeah, power creep is real. If you ever want to look at it, go look at the. Just like have yourself a little giggle fest and go read the stratagems from the Astro Militarum book. Vicious traps, baby. Uh, it's it's sad days, right? I mean, uh, it was a very different game. Let's put it that way. Hey, it's a well, it's in a the cycle. interest of time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we got to talk about Space Marines. Uh, just you know, briefly about Space Marines in general, but then about an aggressive matchup like a Blood Angel. Yeah. So the other match that I lost was to um, Zach, incredibly gifted player. Uh, I think he did pretty well in the tournament, as I remember. Is that right? Yeah, he went on to win the whole thing. We even had oh, him on just right. the other week. <laughs> um, so. Uh, that was a match where I made some mistakes. Um, and, uh, the first was that again, to go back to a classic one, I didn't roll to go first. Uh, I ended up rolling below him. And so he got to forlorn fury me. He, and he made a very smart play, which was, he did not try to trade the death company for some big vehicle. Um, he traded them for an infantry squad and an astropath, which is actually a points loss for him. That, that's but, really interesting to know, because I feel like when you look at Blood Angels and you look at Death Company with Hammers, the turn one move is go trade this for the biggest honkiness tank you can get. Give me a Dread Knight, give me a Demolisher, do you know something. Yeah. It turns out, by the way, Thunder Hammers are not particularly great into a Lehman Rust, because you're wounding on fours. Yes, you're, if you're Blood Angels, you're wounding on threes, but also I'm saving on threes. Yeah, you got a great armor save. Yep. Right. Um, so I'm just Space Marine saving against these giant hammers. The Lehman Rust is like not even aware it's being hammered, right? Um, well, I mean, as a point to his you know, generalship, is it recognizing that and then going for something else? That's what you, know, you would be thinking, that I think, if, unless you do, had done those calculations prior to that, is that I need to be going into a Dread Knight with has in a vulnerable save or this tank, which, you know, that you, the math could go real bad on you. So is, is that the reason you say it's a good move to go for the infantry in this case, or is it something 100%. else? Yeah, Absolutely. the math could get funky. 
Yeah, I so part of it was that this was uh, this was this was bombs, which we you know has another tear down their icons, but we all call it bombs, right? Um, and so I put my strike squad in deep strike because what I really wanted to do was drop in the territory, drop a bomb, drop in the territory, drop a bomb. And I learned, I don't, who was it who taught me this, that you can put an infantry squad at the very bottom of your deployment zone and just walk into your opponent's territory and start planting. Who would have told me that? I think that uh, might be something you picked up in one of our strategy sessions that, in the war room. That right might, might be so. And so I just walk over the line, bombs, bombs, bombs. I end up planting four bombs in his territory before the end of the game. Um, and so uh, he made a very smart move, which was he moved. He was contemplating whether to play more passively or to move directly into the middle and then just threaten me. And he chose the latter, um, which was he chose the path of violence. And the path of violence was 100 percent correct, um, because at a certain point, there's just only so many sanguinary guard that I can kill. Um, and so, uh, he was able, he, if you want to know how the game went, it comes down to one sentence. He made all his charges. Um, and so <laughs> that is very good. And so, um, at the end of the game, I had just lost too many troops. There wasn't enough that I could do. He was also able to kill the GK. So I couldn't hold on to my home objectives. Um, and I had too much stuff that was trying to get into his zone. I probably should have just played more defensively. Um, but generally blood angels is not a bad matchup for me in that, um, I can remove a fair number of sanguinary guard. They also really don't like my mortal wound output. Um, they also, if I go second, um, I can make it very difficult for them to accomplish but accomplish secondaries that involve getting in me into my zone without paying a very heavy penalty for it. Um, and I outnumber them in terms of bodies, right? At, you know, it turns out ten guardsmen are more effective at holding an objective than five interceptors are, and they got to pay that tax, right? Um, in terms of other Space Marine armies. Stuff that's really competitive, you know, Space Wolves, I admit, is not a match that I played a ton. And I know that they're very scary if they make it their charges, but it seems like a very similar to dynamic to Blood Angels. It's just that a lot of them don't have jump packs. And then, you I know... Space Wolves are a bit better at receiving charges with their six-inch heroics and fight last mechanics, whereas Blood Angels are obviously better at initiating charges with their 14-inch jump pack people everywhere. Yeah. A lot of fight, a lot of uh, fight on death and everything built in Space Wolves, so dead on with the... Uh, receiving charges much much better yeah and space wolves are just they've got some pretty great secondaries but they don't work unless you're right there in my face um and so i have to just make it so that when you do get there um there's a lot of mortal wounds waiting for you and the uh and the there's backfield pressure so that the things you think are going to hold an objective probably are not um I would say that the, that Marines suffer from, despite their uh, enormous buff to shock tactics, um, generally just not having um, enough ways to score points really fast. And so they have to play out the whole game. And if, if they have to play out the whole game, I can drain their resources. And when they do, they can start to lose. Right? I, don't, I haven't, to be honest, other than that one Blood Angels game, um, I haven't lost to Marines in quite a while. I think that partially because Grey Knight's weapons are so good at killing them. Um, they have two, they're, they're, you know, minus three, two damage. They have a ton of attacks. 
um, and they 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 don't have quite the firepower to reciprocate, and a lot of their firepower is low AP. Awesome. Well, Paul, I want to just finish this all up with just saying, if you hit your charge with Blood Angels, you do better. So do <laughs> yeah, just charge a hundred hundred percent of your time. You Look, know, Zach, you know. Zach can do it. You can do it. You know what I'm saying? That's- <laughs> and, and I, one of the things I will say, first of all, I love playing him. And also I will say that do, that is a army that, um, that is an army I would not have expected to win the whole thing. And kudos to him because it was very much a skill win in the sense that, um, if you know what that army can do and you have practiced it, you know what the scenarios are, you know what you're going to run into, then you absolutely can figure out what is going to work where. If you don't have that figured out, that army is not that amazing. But if you do, that army in the right player's hands all of a sudden starts to look like a first place, second place, third place finish. Yeah. One of the, one of the coolest things about you know the the series that we're doing here and talking to winners and and high placers and, and events is that you really can tell in in a lot of cases it's the skill of the pilot and you've also shown that here with what you've been able to accomplish and how you approach the game and really appreciate you coming on and spending that time with us. Uh, that's our show for this week. So you know it's been a fun one. It's been a, a nice kind of jaunt through many different theories. Yeah. Kyle, I got to uh, say, it's been a pleasure talking to you, learning how you approach the game in, in your own unique way, your snowflakey way with this imperial <laughs> soup list, but also just kind of methodically. You clearly have a like a very strategic mind for the game. You approach it from a educational standpoint. You've clearly done your homework on the players, the armies that are doing well, and you have a plan going in every matchup. And I think these are just good 40k principles you're applying in a unique fashion to some cool army combinations. And then, well done, seriously. And well, color me, color me so honored to have been able to chat with you guys, and uh, thanks for asking all the right questions. Uh, subscribers, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Kyle's a pleasure. Nick, we'll see you. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. <laughs>